Coming up on Studio Berlin. We will have recurring crises as this week in, in the Middle East with Iran. That's going to happen a few more times and it could also happen in elsewhere in Asia. What are the big challenges facing Germany in 2020? Germany has basically allowed itself to profit um, from globalization for a long time. And now it's realizing that it's actually very vulnerable because of globalization, because it's such an open economy. And how strong is Germany's long-term chancellor, Angela Merkel? She is weak abroad and in terms of authority, but she is strong in terms of, I don't think she will get replaced. More up next on 104.1 FM, KCRW, Berlin. Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. Each week we're taking a closer look at the events and issues moving us here in Germany's capital and in Europe. I'm your host, Sumiso Maskanda. Ich bin überzeugt, wir haben gute Gründe zuversichtlich zu sein. I am convinced that we have good reason to be confident that the 20s of the 21st century can be good years. If we use our strengths, if we rely on what connects us, if we remember what we've achieved together over the past few decades. That was German Chancellor Angela Merkel in her New Year's speech. This week, we're looking at German politics with fresh eyes. 2020 lies ahead, but what does it hold for Germany, for the Chancellor, for her governing coalition, uh, for the far right here in Germany, for Europe? We're going to talk about all of that today with Siobhan Dowling. She's an editor at the Berlin Policy Journal and a freelance journalist here in Berlin. Hello. And Andreas Klut, writer and editor at Bloomberg Opinion. And previously, he was the editor-in-chief of Handelsblatt Global. Hello. Before we check in on the pulse of German politics, we have to talk about the big story of the start of this year. It's been a huge foreign policy development that has really rocked the German government, European governments, The U.S. airstrike that killed top Iranian military commander Qasem Soleimani and the fallout from that, the reciprocal Iranian missile strikes on bases in Iraq housing U.S. troops and President Trump's response. So, Shalane, I want to start with you. What has this meant for Germany and for Europe? Well, I think uh, Germany and the other European allies were just totally caught unawares by the, the attack last week. And it has shown really that Trump uh, is somebody who's going to go his own way and is not really taking much heed of what Europe thinks um, on a lot of issues, including the Middle East. And afterwards, uh, it seemed that the US was a bit annoyed with the fact that the Europeans and Germany were not cheerleading this and were actually a bit chilly in their reception. And since then, I think Germany and Europe have tried to carve out a role as um, being somewhat honest brokers, mediators, but really nobody is looking particularly to Europe or to Germany on this. So there's a lot of diplomatic uh, talks, a lot of action in terms of, you know, meetings in Brussels with various foreign ministers. There's going to be a meeting of European foreign ministers, but really everyone is looking to Washington and to Tehran to see what's happening next and not Europe. Andreas, is Germany just a bystander in this story? Yes, and it's always a bystander in almost any story all over the world, and that's uh, and so is the European Union. And that's part of the problem is that uh, the European Union is strong in trade, for example, in competition policy, in many things, but in foreign policy and, of course, military policy, it's completely a no-show on the international stage. It requires unanimity 
for the European Union for all um, foreign policy decisions, and therefore any small country, even Malta, even Hungary, can block things, and therefore China can infiltrate and prevent common positions by the EU. As a result, you have the EU, that's the other big story this week, in Libya, where Turkey and Russia are carving that up the way they carved up Syria. As a result, you have uh, individual countries of the European Union on opposite sides in the Libyan civil war and completely absent. And in Iran, it's the same thing. It's exactly as Siobhan just described it. Germany and Europe really is completely irrelevant. There have been so many calls for more unanimity and in Europe, but also for Germany to take on a bigger role. Siobhan, why do you think that has been so difficult, particularly for Germany, the powerhouse of Europe? Yes, I think Germany is obviously a powerhouse when it comes to the economy. But um, Germany has relied on the U.S. for its uh, military protection for a long time. And now with uh, Trump sort of calling that into question, it's shown how Germany is actually quite vulnerable in these issues. And for example, it's shown that in terms of the European power dynamics, France is actually stronger because France has such a strong military. Um, And the other issue, I suppose, is that Germany has always been a bit reluctant to lead um, for historical reasons. Germany seemed to take the lead in the um, attempts to keep Iran in the nuclear deal. But once Trump left that, um, it's really shown that Europe can't do much on its own without the US. And so I think it's shown that Germany is really flailing in this new uh, new world order, great power rivalry. You've got a lot of authoritarian leaders who are just doing what they want. For example, as Andreas just said, in Libya, uh, Germany wants to take the uh, lead role in terms of having a conference in Berlin with the different parties. But then uh, Putin and Erdogan uh, just decided, oh, we're going to call a ceasefire. And it just shows you that Europe really isn't actually playing much of a role. Andreas, what do you think that tells us about the uh, big foreign policy issues that the German government could face this year and how Germany and Europe will go about managing them? Well, I mean, it, it won't really manage it. But by the way, you notice that any German foreign minister, especially the current one, Heiko Maas, they like to, no matter what happens anywhere, they get in front of a microphone and call for restraint on all sides. And it's almost you could play that soundbite no matter again and again. They have nothing else to say. But in terms of uh, issues coming up, I mean, we have, it's interesting, I don't know if you want to call Brexit foreign or domestic, you know, EU policy, but Libya is big uh, because it also is uh, related to possibly, potentially to migrants. Uh, in it, uh, it's now connected to Turkey. So the Turkey is always a foreign policy dilemma for the EU and NATO and Germany. Africa, sub-Saharan Africa as well. That's uh, harder to understand for, in, in, you know, less covered in the German media. Russia is always a problem. China, all the usual suspects. And Siobhan, how much is the U.S. election coming up this year weighing on German politics as well? I mean, I think it's going to be a hugely important election for for Germany. Obviously, ever since Trump came to power, the transatlantic relationship has been very fraught. There may have been some hope that uh, Trump would be out of power, but I'm not sure that that is necessarily the case. So I think Europe and Germany are sort of hedging their bets. Um, And obviously, Germany is very much caught between... Uh, the U.S., its ally, and the fact that it's got its economy is actually increasingly reliant on China. And the fact that now the U.S. and China are increasingly rivals um, on the world stage means that Germany is sort of caught in the middle because its economy, which is going to be another factor in the year ahead, is obviously going to start taking a hit because we're, Germany has avoided recession till now. But I think that that may not be the case with all these different uh, tensions um, in global trade as well as politics. 
We'll talk about what all of that means for domestic politics coming right up. You're listening to Studio Berlin on 104.1 FM. We'll continue our conversation after a short break. Stay tuned. Public radio programs attract educated consumers and business decision makers. You can reach this highly desirable audience with your company's marketing message on KCRW Berlin. Isn't it time to make our listeners your customers? Find out how by emailing us at sponsorships at kcrwberlin.org or online at kcrwberlin.com sponsorships. Welcome back to Studio Berlin on 104.1 FM. I'm your host, Sumi Somaskanda, and this week on Studio Berlin, we're talking about what's in store for German politics in 2020. I'm joined by Siobhan Dowling. She's an editor at the Berlin Policy Journal, and Andreas Kluth. He's a writer and editor at Bloomberg Opinion. We're taking a look now at domestic politics here in Germany in the year 2020. Andreas, how strong is Chancellor Angela Merkel right now in Germany? We keep talking about her as this lame duck leader. Is that really true? She's certainly a lame duck because she's made herself one. She, if you're not running again, you're by definition a lame duck. She is weak abroad and in terms of authority, but she is strong in terms of I don't think she will get replaced. And I think she will serve out her term. Um, the SPD sort of missed its last chance to have a genuine question mark over that. And she is, by the way, still very popular among Germans. So um, she is strong in the sense of she'll stay in power. A lot of that's more than a lot of other world leaders can say, but unfortunately not strong in, in, in using that power to do anything useful. The SPD, the Social Democrats, Merkel's junior coalition partner in Siobhan, there's been the big question towards the end of last year as well, but it seems like the internal question for this coalition government, will it last? Will the Social Democrats and Angela Merkel's conservatives stick it out together until the end of her term in 2021? The new leaders of the SPD, Esken and Boyans, are a pretty bland duo. They they were voted in by the SPD uh, membership on the basis that they would leave the coalition if the CDU did not make concessions. Um, But they haven't really laid out too much what those concessions might be. And the CDU has said that it won't make any more concessions, that it has already a coalition pact and that it's sticking to that. There has to be, I think, a really big scandal or an issue where the SPD just says, no, we cannot support this at all for them uh, to um, leave power. And obviously the SPD is seeing its vote declining. It's now in the latest polls hovering around 15%. So if they do go to the polls, obviously they're going to probably be annihilated. Um, So that is obviously just if you're an SPD uh, politician, you're going to see your job go. Um, That might not give you a lot of impetus um, to to pull the plug. And the other thing I suppose is that the the SPD new leadership, by slamming the, the coalition, it means that if they do go to an election, they're not actually going to be able to defend what they've achieved in government, which is actually quite a lot. Um, and this is the problem with the SPD is it never seems to be able to capitalise on its policies because actually the CDU SPD government in, in many ways is marked more by SPD policies, um, but they don't seem to be able to convey that to voters. Andres, what's your take on that? You know, Siobhan touched upon the fact that the Social Democrats would not fare very well if there were an election right now. What about Angela Merkel and her conservatives? Do they stand to gain or to lose if there were to be new elections, if this government were to fall apart? 
they will lose relative to their result last time in the last election, but they'll still win in that they'll still come uh, first past the post. They'll be able to form a government, and they will simply switch uh, coalition partners, uh, and they'll uh, do what the big winners will be in terms of the big gainers will be the Green Party. Uh, Everything, and by the way, in Austria, uh, right next door, this just happened. So the the, um, analog to the Christian Democrats there, Sebastian Kurz is the is the chancellor. It just got in bed basically with the Greens, and that's I, th- I think everyone expects the same to happen here in Germany as well. And I think that that'll be a very good thing because they're going to agree finally on some big policies for a big country in in big times, and they haven't been doing that. So the the, the Christian Democrats, I don't think they have. You know, it, it it's not it doesn't. It, they're losing some regional elections, and they're going to lose relative to what to what they were. But they're they still have a bright future ahead of them as part of a new coalition. But what about Chancellor Merkel herself, this towering figure in in German and world politics? Do we know who might possibly replace her when her term is over? Will it be her hand-picked successor, uh, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, who is currently the defense minister and the head of the party? I think that if there were elections soon, I think that Kramp-Karrenbauer would be in a good position to be the chancellor candidate. But I think that if, as looks likely, the, there won't be an election this year, then there's going to be um, a party conference at the end of the year. And it's quite likely that that will then be an opportunity to decide who is going to be the the chancellor candidate in, in next year's election. Um, and if that happens, then I don't think by the current polls that she will actually be the choice because she's not particularly popular either in the party or with the general public. And even though now she's performing quite well this week, actually, because she's defence minister, so she's been out in front and she's been talking a lot. But I think in general, we're going to see possibly somebody else. It'll either be Friedrich Merz, who uh, just narrowly was beaten by her in the um, leadership election for the party, um, or perhaps even Marcus Söder, who is uh, the leader of the Christian Social Union, which is the Bavarian sister party. Um, and he is also the minister president of the very large state of Bavaria. We heard Marcus Söder earlier this week talking about uh, the need to shake up the current cabinet. Let's listen into that. I believe that in the end it will be necessary to work on this. Otherwise, it won't be possible to pick up new momentum or to strengthen ourselves. So, Andreas, Marcus Söder is, is a figure, the Siobhan, who's just mentioning Marcus Söder, is the minister-president of Bavaria, the head of the Christian Social Union, not someone who's known on an international stage, but is he positioning himself to possibly be the next chancellor candidate? Yes, and I've been arguing that for a while. Um, in my column, I think he's the dark horse, and he's using that, the fact that he's not the most obvious choice because he's not from Merkel's own party, but from part of her block, the Bavarian allies, as it were. There have been, by the way, in, in post-war German history, there have been two Bavarian uh, candidates for the conservative bloc, and they've both lost. And there's sort of an unwritten rule that you can't be from what's called the the white sausage equator, so from a certain linguistic line, the the accent line. He's from above that, as you just heard in that clip. He's from Nuremberg, and I I used to be not a big fan of him because he's, I think, basically a populist. Uh, But he's very adroit, very skillful, and he's been positioning himself basically because the other candidates all have weaknesses. They're going to take each other out. 
and he keeps denying that he's even interested in running for for chancellor. And I think at the end, uh, because he does have, a, he is building a certain domestic stature. He'll be, as it were, the left last one standing, and he will reluctantly, you understand, reluctantly agree to be the nominee, and he'll be it. So I think, if anything, it'll it'll be tight. But I I would put my money on him. Would be interesting, certainly, to see how he might possibly, if that's the case, work together with the Green Party. And Siobhan, we saw the Greens have experienced this pretty astonishing rise in the polls uh, over the last year, especially with all of the um, Fridays for Future movement momentum. Do you think that they are there to stay? Are they the new kingmakers uh, in German politics? Yes, they have seen a, a great rise in popularity, um, I think, not just because of Fridays for Future, although that is an, uh, one element. I think it's also because they're not really tainted by having been in government. The last time they were in government was uh, 2005 when they were in coalition with the SPD. Um, they also have managed to elect uh, two new, uh, quite charismatic leaders um, who are sort of proving quite popular. And they're also trying to move beyond just the um, the issue of climate and also talking about more investment, about maybe abandoning this fixation with uh, balancing the books in Germany and actually thinking about investing in infrastructure, in digitalization, things like that. Um, so, and also with Söder, it could work because he's sort of trying to paint himself as a bit more green as well. And he was quite populist and anti-immigrant a few years ago, but he's toned that down quite a lot. So he might be preparing himself to be more palatable to the Greens. And Andreas, what do you think we might see in the year ahead from the far-right alternative for Germany, the AFD? Do you think this party has stagnated or could they continue to gain ground, particularly in the former East? I think they have stagnated. In fact, uh, recent polling from, from all of last year's regional elections where they always they, they always gained and the headline is always AFD is stronger because it's usually stronger than in the last election but remember they they were only founded in 2013 so but in fact if you look at absolute numbers of voters and you include non-voters they have now actually stagnated for over a year it's really the greens that have risen and i think the greens have risen in part because of the Greta Thunberg effect and the climate consciousness, but in the other part as a reaction against the alternative for Germany, because, you know, the, the alternative for Germany is one poll. They've taken all the available people in Germany who are basically anti-immigrant, okay? And the Greens represent more than any other party, more clearly than any the more open to the world party. So all the others have also drifted there as a reaction. So you, but but the, the alternative for Germany, I think they're more or less stuck at they're somewhere between 13 and 15 percent nationally, and in the east they're usually a little bit about 20, 20 between 20 and 25 percent in certain states, and I think that's where they're going to stay. So th their presence will make the mathematics of forming other coalitions harder, but they won't be in a coalition. And I think, as I said, that that's what's going to transport us to uh, a Christian Democrat and Green government. All right, we're going to whip out the crystal ball and make some predictions shortly. You're listening to Studio Berlin on 104.1 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Hey, you, you've been hearing and reading the news all day. So what are you getting out of it? Are you smarter, more informed, better prepared for your dinner party later tonight? Well, The Takeaway has you covered. We ask the tough questions, we hold lawmakers accountable, and if something just doesn't seem right, we ask, how did we get here? It's The Takeaway with me, Tanzina Vega. 
Tune in to The Takeaway weeknights at 6 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to Studio Berlin. I'm your host, Sumi Somaskanda. We have Siobhan Dowling with us here from the Berlin Policy Journal and on the phone, Andreas Klut, writer and editor at Bloomberg Opinion. We've been talking about the challenges ahead for Germany's grand coalition and the country in the year 2020. Let's take a look now at what the big issues are that will dominate German political discussion debate in 2020. Siobhan, let's start with you. What do you think the big issues are that we'll be discussing in German politics this year? Well, I think obviously climate is still going to be a big issue, but I think increasingly the economy is going to be an issue because what we've seen is that uh, the the fact that exports are are reducing in Germany has been offset a bit by things like construction um, and uh, consumer spending. Uh, once jobs perhaps start to be affected by um, the, the industrial production going down, then that might start to have a knock-on effect. And you're also going to see more demands for um, for spending on infrastructure um, to offset this. Uh, but obviously, if people if the economy starts to to sort of flounder, then there's going to be more talk about how we spend our resources if the country is not in such a good financial position as has been for the last almost decade. Andreas, what do you think? What are the issues that are going to royal German politics this year? The issues, if you look at the German newspapers, they will be plastered by every front page with U.S. political news, Trump and the many candidates, of which I should say Michael Bloomberg, the owner of, of, of my company on where I'm the, on the editorial board, is one of them now. And uh, that has such a huge bearing on everything, of course, that that'll be in the, in the news. And as we now, we're going we're to have Brexit in name, and now we need to do it in practice. We need to do a deal. That'll be all over the place. And then we will have recurring crises, as this week in, in the Middle East with Iran. That's going to happen a few more times, and it could also happen in elsewhere in Asia. Uh, I don't expect the migrant crisis to explode again, but you never know. Erdogan and Turkey could could do that. Um, so these outside factors. And then, as Siobhan said, we the economy is an interesting one, especially if something again happens in the eurozone. And I don't mean another euro crisis necessarily, but what happens if Germany slows down to the debate where essentially the whole world in Europe and beyond has been for so long calling on Germany to do the opposite economically of everything it's doing. And that could put paint Germany in quite an uncomfortable corner. Give us an idea of what you think the big dark horse issue will be this year coming ahead, one that maybe we're not thinking about. What's your surprise prediction for 2020? Sumi, thank you for that question, which any pundit <laughs> loves, because you're asking me to predict what will, what no one knows will happen. Um, there, there's just always going to be a shock surprise, and I hope it's not an accidental slide into war. Usually these questions are best answered by going way back. And for example, if you go to June 1914, Nobody, everyone was predicting endless peace, and if there was war, it was going to be over in two weeks. And then somebody got shot, an archduke, and it all went quite another way. And there are lots of situations today in the Middle East, between India and Pakistan and the South China Sea and elsewhere, where, and with a lot of erratic mercurial actors, including the president of the United States, where things could really very quickly go awfully wrong. And then that'll be the only thing we'll be talking about in 2020. 
Um, I think the issue of um, China is going to be a huge issue in, in Germany because what you have is Germany has sort of been happy to protect its economic interests um, without really taking into account the the ethical and the political uh, dimensions of that. And so with this, the 5G and Huawei um, issue here, I think that's going to be something that, you know, is going to cause friction in the German government because you have Merkel, who seems to be kind of happy enough for China to basically have access to Germany, German people's data. Um, and then you have people who are increasingly alarmed by the implications of that. And also you have um, the US saying it's going to impose secondary sanctions on um, uh, companies that deal with uh, Russia um, and Nord Stream. So you have this, uh, Germany is basically allowed itself to profit um, from globalization for a long time. And now it's realizing that it's actually very vulnerable because of globalization, because it's such an open economy. And it's going to actually have to make some hard choices about whether it wants to pursue its interests in terms of the economy or whether it's actually going to be a geopolitical power. I think that's a good place to leave it. That's it for this week's show. Thank you to Siobhan Dowling and Andreas Klut. Thank you Thank very much. You, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening to Studio Berlin, our current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sumi Somaskanda. Enjoy your weekend. <laughs>